production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive here, also a proud member, and it's May 20th. You're with a virtual City Club forum live from the City Club itself. Big thanks again to our production partners at IdeaStream for helping to make this possible today. We're here for the annual State of the County Address delivered by Cuyahoga County Executive Armand Budish. It's his sixth State of the County and the first one to be delivered virtually. He will be present here in person at the City Club for the audience Q&A portion of our forum after his speech. And as we convene this event, we may finally be at the beginning of the end of this pandemic. Vaccination rates are climbing, confirmed cases and positivity rates are declining, and we're all returning to work and school. Many public health measures are either being lifted or about to be lifted. While this is all good news, the pandemic has had a profound effect on all of us throughout our communities. Last March, Cuyahoga County Executive Armand Budish joined us to share how Cuyahoga County was responding to the crisis. And now more than a year later, he'll recap how the county has weathered the last year and his reasons for optimism about the future. As many of you know, Mr. Budish is a Democrat and is currently serving his second term as Cuyahoga County Executive. If you have questions for him about what you hear or other things that you didn't hear, you can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. If you're on Twitter, please tweet them at the City Club, and we'll work them in. Now, members and friends of the City Club, I present to you Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish. This past year has been a year of firsts. First COVID pandemic, first national shutdown, and first virtual state of the county. So here we go. This has been an indescribably awful year for so many, a year of very real and personal loss. Many of us have lost family, friends, and neighbors. We've lost businesses and jobs. Some in our community have lost their homes. It's really horrible. Thankfully, as more and more of us get vaccinated, we can see light at the end of the tunnel. Now here's my shameless plug. If you haven't yet been vaccinated, get one. It's easy, just call 211 or stop by the Wolstein Center or most other vaccination sites. You generally no longer need an advanced registration. Given how much negative news has been promoted, you might be surprised to hear that Cuyahoga County is emerging from this pandemic with strength and vitality. From the folks in East Cleveland to Rocky River to Parma, you've shown resiliency. I'd like to thank our mayors and city councils for their really great work. And because of prior decisions made over the years, we entered the pandemic with a secure base, a base on which we continued to build during the past year. We're now actually positioned to come out of this crisis stronger than ever. My goal today is to share some highlights of where we've been, what we've accomplished recently, and some of my hopes for our future. Since this has been a year where health has dominated the headlines, let's start with a health theme. 
How do we know the health of our community? How do we take the community's temperature? Our doctors of economic analysis at the U.S. Department of Commerce say that gross domestic product, GDP, is the most comprehensive measure of a region's economic health. Translated into layman's terms, GDP is essentially the total value of goods and services produced in a county during the year. So what's our temperature in Cuyahoga County? In a word, we're hot, and that's in a good sense. In Cuyahoga County, we're way too hard on ourselves. We're a little like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh. We get so down on ourselves, we forget to be happy. But we do have a lot to be happy about. According to the Bureau of Economic Analysis figures that were issued just at the end of 2020 for 2019, our county GDP is almost $88 billion. We're ranked as the 31st largest economy in the nation. That puts us in the top 1%. Our GDP is bigger than that of a number of states and countries. If I asked you where we stood in comparison to Franklin and Hamilton counties, home to Columbus and Cincinnati, would you rank us number one in Ohio? We are. And we're well ahead of most of our competitors across the country. Counties like Marion County, which is Indianapolis, St. Louis County, Denver County, Davidson County, which is Nashville, Baltimore County, Montgomery County, which is Maryland suburbs around D.C., and many others. Our economic power is stronger. Have you ever been to Jacksonville, Florida? It's generally viewed as one of the best, most up-and-coming cities, and it's among the nation's fastest-growing cities. But what city, what region does Jacksonville envy? Us! A recent article in the Florida Times Union points to Cleveland as presenting lessons for Jacksonville. I'm quoting, Those wanting to find a role model should look to Cleveland. The stats I've been referencing to you are generally pre-COVID. And as I said, we started with a strong base. So how have we done since the pandemic began? Compared to many other regions, we've actually seen some positive trends. The professional networking website LinkedIn recently issued a study reviewing the inflow and outflow of people who changed locations during the pandemic. Of the 38 major U.S. metro areas that were evaluated, Cleveland ranked fifth with a 6% growth. The only cities that did better were Salt Lake City, Jacksonville, Florida, Richmond, Virginia, and Sacramento, California. We beat many large cities like Chicago, Washington, D.C., New York, Boston, and Los Angeles. We beat Sunbelt cities like Tampa and Miami. And we beat other Midwest cities like Milwaukee and Kansas City people are discovering just how great it is to live, work, and play here. Together, we've built up an exciting, vibrant, and resilient community. In the early days of the pandemic, while many were downplaying the dangers of this novel virus, our team knew that the county government had a vital role to play to proactively protect the health and safety of our residents. We in county government the county council, our department heads, our staff, everyone took every possible action to protect the health and safety and the finances of our residents. I especially want to thank county council for giving the council president and me the authority to act with strength and urgency. We had to anticipate 
evaluate, and adjust to our COVID opponent on a daily basis. Even before the first COVID infection was discovered in Cuyahoga County, we swung into action. Our first priority was the public's health and safety. We immediately stood up the Emergency Operations Center to coordinate the hospitals, healthcare providers, and emergency responders. We recognized the tremendous need for personal protective equipment. You may recall that the media reported that PPE was not available anywhere. Supply chains were disrupted. Items that were once readily available, like N95s, face shields, nitrile gloves, and sanitizers, all became more scarce than, than snow in August. This shortage was then exacerbated by huge international demands. States, cities, and counties were being told, wait. Here, we wouldn't accept that. I personally spent a week on the phone with colleagues and friends around the country trying to find leads for the sale of PPE. Our safety team tracked down every single one of those leads and discovered many more. We bought PPE. We sought donations of PPE. I don't think there was another county that was as aggressive as we were. And as a result, we've been able to distribute over 16 million items of PPE to over 1,500 medical facilities, first responders, group homes, assisted living facilities, schools, and others. I don't believe any other county our size came close. Having the appropriate PPE for our responding crews is critical to the mission that we have to provide to the residents. Without it, especially during these critical times during a pandemic, would really prevent us from you know, being able to provide that care. Right at the onset of the pandemic, we knew that information sharing was critical, but PPE was gonna be the supply chain that was suffering the most. So we took every initiative we could to start gaining that PPE however we could. So the reason we came to the Public Works Garage on Harvard was pretty simple. This is a county-owned and operated facility. Uh, we had all the supplies that we needed. We had support staff that was needed. You have the equipment, you have site security. It was just an ideal facility. We have received over 24 million pieces of PPE and have distributed over 16 million pieces of PPE to first responders and frontline workers. From home care workers that aren't able to obtain it to healthcare workers, to fire departments that weren't able to supply their own workers. It's been nothing but gratitude. And so that obviously really helps keep the mission go. We were one of the earlier facilities to have had COVID patients. We need PPE in order to protect our patients and to provide the services that they need in order to maintain their overall health. The ability for the county to communicate the need out for all first responders in Cuyahoga County, have one centralized collection point, and to lead a coordinated effort to identify the needs out in the community and to distribute that out to all of us. I don't know how we would have done it any other way. You don't feel alone when you have a county taking all those communities and saying, what do you need and collectively reaching out to us and making sure we have the tools and in this case the equipment we need to be successful and to be safe and to 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 really rise above this and and survive it we were particularly concerned about covid in the jail and homeless shelters both congregate facilities which were especially vulnerable let's take the jail first 
Over the last year, we saw hundreds and hundreds of inmates die of COVID around the state and the country, but not here. We initiated a collaboration between the sheriff, the prosecutors, the judges, and the defense bar to cut the number of inmates by more than half, from over 2,000 to as low as 1,000. That large reduction did two things. It directly reduced the spread of COVID, and it gave us more space in the jail for isolation and quarantine. The sheriff and Metro Health also put in place novel and extensive protocols for sanitation, testing, and separation. And it all worked. While prisons and jails everywhere saw lots of COVID deaths, we had zero COVID prisoner deaths. None. Special thanks go to Metro for keeping our prisoners safe. Similarly, we moved half the people in homeless shelters into hotel rooms, again for their safety. We provided over 119,000 nights of shelter to over 1,100 different shelter residents. This helped homeless people, keeping COVID rates below 8%. We implemented an extensive series of protocols to permit quarantining, testing, and screening, as well as social distancing. Our process also helped hotel owners who were badly in need of revenue. As soon as we had the immediate and critical safety issues under control, we turned to the unfolding economic crisis. As I've said, lots of folks lost their jobs, and that left many residents without the income needed to put food on the table for their families. We cannot stand by silently while our neighbors go hungry. So we chose to work with our great partners at the Food Bank, the Hunger Network, the Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging, and our Senior Center Network. We provided more than a million dollars for about 50% more meals than the prior year. Over the course of the last year, the need for emergency food in our community and in Cuyahoga County has absolutely skyrocketed. Over the past 12 months, we've served more than 414,000 individuals. That's 100,000 more people than we served the previous year. 60,000 new families, folks who've never had to turn to the food bank or one of our partner agencies before. Those agencies range from a food pantry to a hot meal site to senior centers to after-school partners who are providing kids with meals after school. And they really are the backbone of our community's response to hunger relief. We've been serving seniors here at the Harvard Community Services Center since 1978. We have more than 200 seniors that we serve on a daily basis. Our service delivery has increased. And one of the reasons it's increased is because people are so isolated. So now we have newer seniors who didn't need the service at all. Now they're looking for the service and they need the service. And because many of the seniors trust the Harvard Community Services Center, knowing that we're gonna do our very best has reached out to us and our numbers have increased. The county has been committed to hunger relief for years and we are enormously grateful to have the county as such an important partner. For as long as I can remember, the county has contributed about a million dollars a year um, to help a number of our partner agencies access nutritious food. They did that again this year, which we're thrilled about. Senior and adult services have always provided that kind of continuity for us, safety for us, and concern for us has been very important to us. So I just want to say 
awesome. That's the word I want to use, awesome. People were choosing between putting food on their table, keeping the lights on, and paying rent. Something had to give. In fact, as thousands of people lost their jobs, experts around the country predicted a tsunami of evictions. We established an eviction protection program, helping both renters and landlords. We've already invested almost $20 million to help renters to remain in their homes. We're now putting out another $10 million to continue to fight the eviction tsunami. Our investments will protect about 8,000 renters. Small businesses are the lifeblood of any community. Seeing the many dark storefronts and closed signs, we knew we had to take action. We were determined to save as many small businesses as possible. We invested $11.5 million to provide grants to more than 1,500 small businesses to help them survive. This included 168 restaurants, which are the spine of our hospitality industry. We are a vintage and modern toy store. We sell puzzles, we sell games, we have action figures, a lot of outdoor play, magnets. Our customer base is generally from five to 75. We have all ages in the store. It was really scary being a new business owner in the beginning of the pandemic. We didn't know what to expect. We were already in a slow time and then to have to close down for two months was scary. A friend of mine sent me the Cuyahoga Stabilization Grant and the process was really easy. I think it maybe took me 10 minutes to complete the application. And then if I had any questions, there was always somebody on the other end of the line to answer them for me. The County Small Business Grant helped us pay our bills when we were closed for two months. We actually are really optimistic since the pandemic. Our business has increased, we've had to hire new employees, and we're actually opening up a second shop. Here at the Crispy Chick, I do a little of everything. I run the register, I'm also a cook. Um, I'm also the maintenance guy on certain items when they need to be fixed. I do drive-through, I do it all. When the pandemic first started, it was fearful because I watched a lot of my neighbors and just family members lose their jobs, and some of them had lost some of their houses. So it was scary for me, especially with me helping out raising my grandson. When the owner received the grant, she had told us that she was going to use this money to hire more people because before the grant, we was working 13, 14 hour days to keep the business open. So by her receiving the grant, it allowed us to bring in more people. We went from like five employees to 12 employees. So it helped out take the stress off of everybody. And like I said, it gave hope for us because we're like, okay, we're gonna make it through this now. While most of this past year was spent implementing an extensive, innovative, comprehensive COVID mitigation and recovery program, we were also preparing for a strong post-pandemic future. What does this healthy future look like? I'll unmask a few of our initiatives for you. After months and years of planning, I am thrilled to say that earlier this month, we opened our diversion center, the first in Ohio. This is central to improving criminal justice. Jails in Ohio and around the country have become the primary repositories for people with mental health and addiction problems. 
Mental health problems and addictions are illnesses that should be treated in the community, not criminalized. That's where they can best be served, in the community. Our new diversion center will change the face of criminal justice here. Police are being trained by the Adams Board to identify people who should be treated, not jailed. And Frontline is providing a dedicated hotline for police to call 24-7 with questions. Oriana House is operating the Diversion Center, providing care and stabilization services for up to about nine days, and then people will be referred to other community treatment facilities for additional assistance. We're anticipating that the Diversion Center will keep about 500 people out of the criminal justice system in the first year, with the goal of returning to productive lives in the community. Now this is a new program, and I'm sure we'll learn along the way, but it is time to get started. All this takes money. I want to thank Rick Chiricasta, CEO of Medical Mutual, for his tremendous help raising funds for this project. So far, we've raised cash and commitments of more than $6 million to make this initiative successful. I want to thank Medical Mutual, the Metro Health Foundation, the State of Ohio, the Mount Sinai Foundation, and the Jack, Joseph, and Morton Mandel Foundation for their generous support. And we still have a number of other outstanding prospects. So thank you all. You are truly saving lives. We've also been taking care of business by retaining and growing our existing businesses. A big win for the county was retaining both the Sherwin-Williams headquarters and their research and development facility. What's that mean? Sherwin-Williams committed to retain 3,500 jobs and to bring at least 400 additional jobs. This was a huge victory for all of us. Sherwin-Williams had the option to go anywhere and they chose us. In the midst of COVID, we've had other great successes as well. For example, the Lumen opened up at Playhouse Square the Beacon and the Athlon opened on Euclid. And Gojo, the makers of Purell, opened a new manufacturing facility in Maple Heights, bringing 200 new jobs. These initiatives all happened because of choices we made based on a healthy vision for our future. We've also been working on three new potentially huge business attraction and job creation programs. The first is our microgrids, which I've talked about before. The disaster in Texas is the most recent example of why our microgrid program is so timely and essential. Weather in Texas shut down power plants and left millions of residents and businesses without power. Financial losses were huge. A microgrid is a game changer. We can guarantee that a business hooked up to our microgrid will have continuous electricity even if the grid goes down. That is a tremendous value. Operators and investors understand the tremendous power of microgrids. That's why 11 of the biggest power companies in the country have already expressed interest in coming to the county to develop and invest in our microgrid. That's why Nestle, PPG, Perrin Management, and Sherwin-Williams have expressed interest in participating. The ability to offer the most reliable electric power in the world, it's an incredible asset. I want to thank Mike Foley and Monica Boozum on point at the county 
as well as Ron Richard and the Cleveland Foundation, Cleveland State and Andy Thomas, and Ali Ahmed for their great hard work. The second major business attraction project we're working on is our water attraction project. Many types of manufacturing companies require huge quantities of fresh water. Some are easily apparent, like beverage and food processing. Others are less so, like manufacturers of microcomputer chips. Many of these companies are currently located in the wrong locations, like California, Nevada, Arizona, and New Mexico, where water is scarce and where availability can be interrupted. An article two weeks ago in National Geographic emphasizes the water problems in many states and concludes that these problems are not getting better, they're worse. The article states that the long-running dry stretch in western states rivals anything in the last 1,200 years, and the conditions are not likely to improve. What's the likely impact? The article says that western states are likely to endure major water interruptions. And just last week, California extended its emergency drought order to a majority of its counties. We, we can offer reliable, abundant, fresh water without adverse environmental impacts. With Lake Erie, our water supply is, is virtually unlimited. And we have in place an incredible infrastructure for delivery. Combine this with an extensive manufacturing history and an experienced workforce, we should be able to attract manufacturing facilities. That means job growth for you, our residents. We want the world's manufacturers to know why they should come to Northeast Ohio. We're embarking on a campaign to make sure that companies understand the Cuyahoga water advantage. While it may seem a little odd, we can leverage our normalcy. We don't suffer from water stress or drought. Wildfires are not a worry here. We don't get hit with hurricanes or tornadoes or intense flooding. We don't suffer from coastal sea level rise or saltwater intrusion into our fresh water. In short, we're normal. We're safe. And businesses here don't have to worry about costly interruptions. And our water should also be a path to attracting people and growing our population. Last month, CBS News reported that millions of Americans lack access to clean water. Our message is, come to Cuyahoga County for reliable, clean, fresh water. I'd like to thank E.B. Holst, Brian Stubbs and the Cleveland Water Alliance, Sue Valerian and Studio Think, Deb Janik, Vince Adamus and the Greater Cleveland Partnership, and Team Neo for their help with this initiative. And of course, thanks again to the Cleveland Foundation. The third initiative I want to address is our lakefront plan. I've previously described my vision for walking and biking paths along the lakefront from one end of the county to the other. What a boost for the livability and recreation opportunities for residents. It would attract young people looking for an outdoorsy lifestyle. Expanding paths is a pathway for small businesses too. I picture cafes, bike rental shops, and many other opportunities sprouting up. We already have a successful model in Euclid. If you haven't taken advantage of this new lakefront trail, I encourage you to visit. One look and you'll see what I'm talking about. We're coordinating efforts with the City of Cleveland and the Metro Parks. 
The city of Cleveland is leading projects along the lake from West 3rd to East 9th. Cleveland and the Metro Parks are working from East 55th to Gordon Park. We'll be managing the connection from East 9th to East 55th. And we're also working on the Beulah Park Euclid Beach Connection Trail in the North Collinwood neighborhood. This waterfront trail will provide easy access to over 4,000 residents living within a 10-minute walk to the lakefront trail. These projects together would provide lake access along much of the east side. We're not ignoring the west side. We're resurfacing and adding bike facilities along Wolf Road in Bay Village from Sutcliffe Drive to Clegg Road. In Lakewood and Rocky River, we've begun preliminary engineering to evaluate alternatives to get pedestrians more easily and safely across the Lake Road Clifton Boulevard Bridge. We've partnered with the city of Lakewood and striped bike lanes on Lake Avenue. And we're working with the Metro Parks and Cleveland to begin engineering for a shared use path along the north side of Lake Road. Mike Dever has led our county efforts and we've been working with our County Planning Commission and the Smith Group. We already had three listening sessions with property owners and residents along the lake. While our lakefront project is expensive and will have to be done in segments, I believe we can finally turn use of the lakefront from a dream to a reality. All right, so today I've talked about how well the county was doing before the pandemic, how well we've come through the pandemic, and how we can really enhance the county's success going forward. But while the county generally is doing quite well, this healthy outlook is not shared by all members of our community. The pandemic hit no one harder than our minority communities of color. Black and brown people were infected more, were hospitalized more, and died more than white people. The pandemic exposed the way that pervasive, long-term systemic racism causes terrible inequities. In fighting this pandemic, we chose to attack systemic racism at the same time. The county adopted a resolution declaring racism to be a public health crisis. We stood up two equity commissions to identify problems and recommend solutions. And we're not just talking, we're doing. For example, testing for COVID became central to protecting our residents. Although testing was extensive and pervasive, minority communities were significantly underserved. So we at the county partnered with the Board of Health and Metro Health, paying $5 million to provide thousands of additional tests to people in minority areas. More recently, vaccinations have become widely available. President Biden and Governor DeWine awarded Cuyahoga County the largest mass vaccination site in the state. But as more and more people were vaccinated, we again saw that black and brown people were underserved. So we chose to take action to provide vaccinations at black churches and elsewhere in minority neighborhoods. We partnered with organizations in underserved areas to eliminate transportation and registration barriers for vaccinations at the Wolstein Center. That's responsive and responsible action. We think everybody should have a fair shot at getting access to this life-saving vaccine. What this is, is going to folks in their neighborhoods so they can go right up the street, they can have access, we can help them sign up if they have some barriers. It's our job to be here to support them and working with community groups in the city, they know their community better than anyone.
We're reaching close to a quarter million shots given here at the Wolstein Center. We've always tried to make this as easy as possible for community members, but now by offering walk-ins, if you just happen to be in the area or you have some free time or maybe your employer is allowing you some time off to go get a vaccination, it is still very easy to come here to the Wolstein Center and within 25 minutes be out the door with your vaccine. I think the response has been really overwhelmingly positive. It's about accessibility. You know, a lot of times communities of color in particular have disparity around just getting quality health care in general. And we don't want this pandemic to, to sort of be another notch on the belt of racial inequality. And so we want to encourage uh, our community to come out to take advantage of getting this vaccine just like any other community. Together we vaccinate Ohio. Together we vaccinate Cuyahoga County. I told you about our small business stabilization program to help small businesses survive. Well, again, minority-owned businesses were hit particularly hard. So of the 1,500 businesses we served, more than half were minority-owned. Let's talk for a moment about the digital divide. Internet access in today's world is critically important for everyone. During the pandemic, schools around the country and county were closed. Students were told to go online for their classes, and many did. But more than 18% of families in Cuyahoga County have no home access to the internet. No access would mean no learning. And once again, minorities suffer the worst. And it's not just kids. For adults to find job openings, prepare a resume, apply for jobs, and so much more, internet access is key. The digital divide between people with and without affordable access to the internet can and must be solved. And we are making progress there. Our partners are listed on the screen. Together, we provided 11,000 laptops, hotspots, and internet service to families. And we recently brought low-cost internet service to 1,000 homes in East Cleveland. Our partners for that project are on your screen. The digital divide is not being able to leave the four walls of your home. The digital divide is during a pandemic, you don't have resources. You can't order food to come to your home or groceries. You can't look for a job online. You, you are cut off from the rest of the world. So the digital divide for us was about access and returning to some of those standards that we would have in a suburban community. For us, the key mission with technology access is that technology connects you with everything else, right? So you need it for school or employment or to apply for food assistance. So we definitely have seen an increase in employment and educational advancement um, and also just income, like when someone is employed, um, often uh, having access to technology can help them just see a pay raise or maybe an increase in the level of responsibility or move into a different job that they wouldn't have been able to have without that technology. This is a broadband access initiative for the families and community of East Cleveland. We've partnered with PC for People, Broadband Ohio, and several other partners, including Urban League, to set up antennas on top of our school buildings to provide a $15 a month, high-speed, low-cost internet option for the families of East Cleveland. Uh, and we're just so excited uh, to be able to offer this to this community. 
Support from Cuyahoga County is, is critical on this initiative. The county was instrumental in helping us get the people that we needed to to the table so that we can create this for our families. We will continue to put up antennas uh, in areas of town that can't get internet any other way. So this was really a scalable solution that any community can use, rural, suburban, or urban. Uh, it took us only about two months to get it from idea up to actually implementation. Uh, so we think this really can also be a model uh, for other communities that are looking for a low cost but high speed internet option. Going forward, I've ordered my departments to apply an equity lens to everything we do. Here's an example. We spend millions of dollars every year on road improvements. Quality roads make a huge difference to a community. People don't want to live in areas with pothole-filled streets, and customers don't want to damage their cars trying to get to a business. Historically, road projects have been selected based primarily on road conditions and traffic. But this past year, looking through our equity lens, we added roads in historically redlined areas in Cleveland, East Cleveland, Maple Heights, Cleveland Heights, and Garfield Heights. That's a start, but we must do more. Traditionally, we deploy resources throughout the county like peanut butter, some here, some there. Roads, economic development, workforce training, internet connectivity, tree planting, and more. And we'll continue to provide for residents everywhere. But clearly, some of our communities need more than just a schmear of support. So today, I'm excited to announce a new pilot program called the Neighborhood Surge. It's designed to truly transform some of our poorest, most in need communities. Our first step is to get input from residents, city and community leaders, and together, based on their priorities, come up with a holistic plan to address their needs. Then for the next year, we'll actively concentrate our programs on that community, working to lift up the residents and businesses so that they can get the support they need to thrive. We're starting first in the central neighborhood of Cleveland. We'll surge resources there. In central, we've been working with County Councilman Purnell Jones, former Cleveland Councilwoman Phyllis Cleveland, and we plan to continue working with new Councilwoman Dolores Gray. We're focusing on job creation and training, support for small businesses, enhanced community supports and bridging the digital divide. So we're partnering with Ohio Means Jobs, Burton Bell Carr, and CMHA to train local residents for jobs. Our sector partnerships will encourage employers to hire from the neighborhood. And we're dedicating a portion of our summer job positions for youth in Central. We'll also use funds to support the preparation of vacant sites to be shovel ready for development. That creates new jobs for neighborhood residents and enhances desired community services. We're directing our small business assistance partners, ECDI, the National Development Council, Jumpstart, and the Urban League to support the existing businesses in the area and foster entrepreneurship among residents. A few minutes ago, I spoke about the digital divide and the critical importance of internet access. Right now, 2,500 households in Central lack an internet connection. I'm proposing to County Council that we partner with Digital C to undertake a program which will provide coverage for 70% of the central neighborhood. 
will focus resources on road improvements. Working with Holden Arboretum will enhance our tree planting program in Central. We're collaborating with Cleveland to improve the neighborhood rec center. And Key Bank has agreed to partner with us to present regular financial literacy and coaching programs in Central. By concentrating resources, surging resources, and working with partners, we aim to make a transformative and lasting impact on a neighborhood. Our county motto is Together We Thrive. We cannot reach our fullest potential when segments of our community are left behind. By transforming the areas most in need, we can improve the lives of all county residents. If the pandemic has taught us anything about ourselves and our world, it's just how deeply interconnected and vulnerable we all are. Now, as we approach the end of this pandemic, we have choices as to how we want to face the challenges of the future. I'm humbly asking that we commit to applying the lessons of COVID to recognize that we need each other. Yes, a strong GDP is essential for our success. But other metrics like empathy and compassion are equally essential for our quality of life. Mother Teresa said, I can do things you cannot. You can do things I cannot. Together, we can do great things. I'm grateful for all we've been able to achieve. When we move forward together with our heads in our hearts, our future will be far safer, richer, and healthier. Together, we can do great things. Together, we all thrive. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you're just joining us, you're with the City Club Forum. Today, we have our State of the County with County Executive Armin Budish. If you have a question for him, please text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. If you're on Twitter, tweet it at the City Club, and we'll work it in. Uh, congratulations, sir, on your sixth. Uh, state you. of the county address Thank if we you. were if these were normal times we'd be at the convention center there'd be a massive audience all all rising to their feet no doubt i'm sure i'm sure and I, it's always <laughs> nice to see people's real faces as opposed to those little squares well we thank you for for uh, making do with us here today thank you um we do have a number of questions that have been coming in during your speech um here's the first we'd like to we'd like to pose to you the u.s treasury said in its guidance for the american rescue plan that it quote urges local governments to engage their constituents and communities in developing plans to use these payments given the scale of funding and its potential to catalyze broader economic recovery and rebuilding." End quote. So what is the plan for Cuyahoga County officials to engage their constituents in how the 120 million of AARP, American Rescue Plan funds in 2021, and another 120 million in 22 should be allocated and will the public be able to see here and discuss the ideas that are generated? Absolutely. So. Uh, you know, we're, we're still in the pandemic, yes. and I can't say enough about how our elected officials have moved forward with uh, both last year and this year supporting uh, the work of cities, counties, states, the work that we do supporting the people, supporting our residents. And the ARP money is critical to, uh, uh, to a variety of, of uh, purposes that we have. So um, the answer is, first of all, uh, people are not shy. And especially Cuyahoga County residents, we've had lots of input already from folks mm -hmm. in terms of uh, you know, how they would recommend we spend the money. Um, 
Uh, it's very important that we uh, talk to other community leaders. So we've uh, been reaching out uh, to a variety of people who um, uh, play important roles in the community that can help us develop the plans. You're and talking then, about like mayors and city council members around the county? Mayors, city council members, also organizational leaders like uh, uh, Greater Cleveland Partnership and, and Team NEO and others. Um, uh, it's important that we coordinate efforts. Uh, so we're getting money, but so is the city of Cleveland, so are all the cities in Cuyahoga County, so is the state of Ohio. And we don't want duplication. Uh, in fact, we want to leverage the funds mm -hmm. that we have with the work that they're doing as well. Uh, so uh, I've been speaking, I've spoken with uh, Mayor Jackson, I've spoken with uh, Lieutenant Governor Houston, I've spoken with Governor DeWine. They all wanna help, they all wanna participate, they all wanna coordinate. So it's very important that we do that if we're gonna spend this money to the best effect possible. But the question specifically asks about public engagement and I'm sure you get emails and people who have your cell number or have texted you with their own ideas, but are you going to stand up a process for public engagement on this? Um, right now, we're still waiting to understand what the rules are. Uh -huh. uh, so uh, once we have the rules, uh, we'd be very open to that. Another question from our listening audience, the County Climate Action Plan states as a goal to return public transit ridership to 2006 levels. In 2008, we lost 40% of our bus service, and today, half of the county's top 10 employers are not accessible by public transit. What will the county do to achieve its climate goal? Uh, well, we uh, announced and have been implementing a climate change action plan. Uh, we did that pre-pandemic and we're still pursuing it uh, actively. Uh, it involves a lot of different parts. Uh, so, um, uh, for example, we've been supporting uh, actively uh, the uh, uh, use of renewable energy. Mm -hmm. uh, the county has created, for example, the I think it's the largest in the country, um, uh, solar panel uh, farm uh, on a landfill. Uh, we're working, we worked with the city of Brooklyn on that. Uh, we are proposing a microgrid uh, which uh, would allow us to bring in additional renewable energy uh, throughout the county. Mm -hmm. uh, we've supported the uh, LEADCO uh, to take, we've committed to take wind energy off of the, the windmills on the lake. Um, we have uh, uh, worked with NOACA to uh, put electric vehicle charging stations in as many places as possible. NOACA just committed, I think, three and a half million dollars to that effort. Um, uh, so I can go through a whole list of things. You know, our, our well, trail the question, system. The question was specifically about public transit. Uh, well, it was asking what is the what yeah. is our work I mean, on start, the climate with, change? Yeah, and it starts with uh, public transit. You know, we don't it. run public transit, as mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an independent organization, RTA. Mm -hmm. We do subsidize RTA passes for our employees. Mm -hmm. uh, we subsidized RTA passes for uh, getting to to the Wallstein Center and other places for the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, we we uh, on no, on the uh, NOACA board uh, have worked very closely with uh, NOACA and the City of Cleveland to. Uh, enhance opportunities for RTA. Mm -hmm. uh, I just appointed a rider to the RTA board, so we work regularly with. Mm -hmm. Another question for you about the county's debt capacity. Uh, with the county's debt capacity tapped out and not enough revenue to balance the general fund operating budget, how will the county pay for the new $500 million jail without raising taxes? Or do you plan to raise taxes? Uh, no, we're not raising taxes. Okay. And I can tell you that 
Um, uh, the premise of that question, I assume that's not your question. The premise is completely wrong. I'm like Ron Burgundy. I only read what's in front of me on the <laughs> teleprompter. Yeah. That's good. Uh, our, our debt capacity is not tapped out. Whoever asked that doesn't know anything about where we are. In fact, we have over a billion dollars uh, of additional debt capacity beyond where we already are. Uh, and in terms of our budget... What is the uh, county's bond rating right now? It's very good. Um, you know, there's two systems, I forget exactly, but we're very high. Uh, and uh, uh, in terms of our budget, you know, just look at it. You know, we, it's, it's all public, uh, you know, we, we are very well situated, situated with our budget. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and so the second part of that question was... Was about the, the new jail, the half a billion dollars for a new jail. So, uh, you know, we have plenty of capacity to build a new jail and to pay for it. The question mm -hmm. is, what's the best way to finance it? Uh, we're working on that right now with our expert, uh, mm -hmm. and we'll have that before we break ground. Uh, one of the benefits of doing a new jail, you know, we have to do a new jail. Mm -hmm. That's the first step. Uh, our existing jail is substandard, and, and, you know, we care about the prisoners and the people who work there. We have to protect them, and, uh, and a new jail is the only way we can really do our job. Uh, so we have to have a new jail. Uh, the stakeholders all have come together to talk about how to do that, where to do that, when to do that, um, and uh, I think everybody's on the same page. Um, in terms of financing it, uh, there will be tremendous savings because the operational uh, needs of the existing jail, it's very inefficient. Uh, and so the, uh, the savings is one big portion of financing the new jail. How, how much? How, how, like what percentage do you estimate will be financed through savings? It depends on how it comes out in terms of um, uh, the numbers of, of um, uh, prisoners that we're anticipating. Mm -hmm. And that's right now in flux because we had a big change. You know, we, yeah. we were at close to 2,000. Now we're uh, hovering around 1,500. Mm -hmm. um, you, you have were to down as low as 1,000. And we were down as low as 1,000. So if, if you have to build a jail for 1,000 or 1,500, it's a lot more... Uh, you know, it's a lot more feasible than doing it for 2,000 people. There's a lot of questions uh, around the, the new Justice Center and the jail. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just want to stay there for a second. Okay. Is there, has a location been identified yet? No. When will a location be identified? Soon. That's very vague. Uh, it's very honest. <laughs> okay. uh, the um, uh, fact is that, uh, again, the stakeholders, you know, this is not a decision that I'm making. Uh, this is a decision that the group of judges and prosecutors and defense attorneys and others are all making, uh, and then they'll take their recommendation to the county council. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, uh, it's being worked on right now, uh, so I, I can't tell you where it's going to be. And I wouldn't tell you, uh, to be honest, I wouldn't tell you if I knew it until we've locked down the land because we don't want to increase the costs. My understanding of the situation, too, is that we have nearly twice as many courtrooms and judges as Franklin County. Um, and, uh, and they have the comparable number of cases. Um, is that accurate? And if so, like are we sort of, do we have too many courts in Cuyahoga County? Could we, is there some cost savings there that could be found? Well, first of all, that's not a decision that the county has any input into whatsoever. That's a decision that the Supreme Court makes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but uh, beyond that, you know, you can't, it's hard to compare one county with another because of the nature of the cases and the type of cases and the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the way it works. So um, if you're asking me if I would support reducing the number of judges, the answer is no. Um, what role, you, you've, you've deferred this to, or put 
said that there's this the the group that has been identified to to you know the prosecutors and defense attorneys and and judges and so forth who are running this process and mm -hmm. it's a very diverse committee there what role do you actually have in all of this then i am one vote how many are there how there many other are, votes are there uh, 11 i believe mm -hmm. and who chairs uh, we have a hired consultant named Jeff Applebaum from Thompson Hine Law Firm. Okay, all right. I'm sure there are many more questions, and I know we're going to be touching on this at future it's City Club forums. Important. It's, it's very important. It's very, you know, it's a huge investment, and you know, the jail is a critical piece of of uh, criminal justice. But you know, we are taking action to reduce the number of people in the jail and be much more fair and equitable. We just opened the diversion center, which is very important. It will divert people out of the criminal justice system with, with uh, uh, mental health and addiction problems. Mm -hmm. uh, where they should be treated in the community, this will allow that to happen. So, uh, you know, we're taking very aggressive steps to, uh, um, you know, reduce the, the activity of the justice system. We have, a, have had a few questions about um, labor at the county library. Um, Mr. Budish appointed a county library board that is now engaging in union busting and putting janitors' jobs at risk, says this, this uh, audience member asks. Does the executive support workers in our county and will he speak out against the library board's actions? Well, first of all, I don't know the details of that, so it's a little difficult to weigh in. Uh, I can speak generally. Uh, generally, I'm a longtime supporter of, of, of organized labor, um, and, and uh, I fought aggressively against Senate Bill 5 uh, when I was down in Columbus, uh, which was a union-busting program. Uh, I would uh, uh, continue to support unions uh, because I believe that they're critically important. They built the middle class, and they support them. They are the middle class. And, and you know, right now we're seeing a diminution, if not elimination, of the middle class in this country. We can't, we can't continue down that road. The uh, question came in uh, about the proposed changes to the commuter tax, the so-called commuter tax, um, how it's collected, and what would be the impact on Cuyahoga County overall? On Cuyahoga County government, the impact would be nothing because we don't get income taxes. This is an income tax uh, issue. Right. Um, this impacts the cities. There will be winners and losers if this changes. Um, the biggest loser will be the city of Cleveland. We need a strong city of Cleveland. I mean, we, you know, the county success depends in large part on how the city of Cleveland does. Uh, and so if this program does what we all anticipate, which is hurt the city of Cleveland, then I would not support it. Mm -hmm. The, uh, here's another question. Between 2018, and let me tell you, let okay. me just, let I me thought just you might add, have more to say there. Yeah, because, you know, it's so important with this new structure of government that, you know, we have the county and we have the cities, and the city of Cleveland is, is the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, we have developed a great working relationship with the city of Cleveland. I think that's critically important. It's important for the success of Cleveland. It's also important for all the suburbs, all the people around the county. And, you know, I know we're going to have a new uh, mayor coming in. Um, I, I'm very hopeful that we, as a county government, will be able to continue the great relationship and coordination that we've developed with the city of Cleveland. This may be the last question that we have time for today, but I, you know, you're very accessible, and I'm sure that, that people can reach out to you with other questions. But a final question. Between 2018 and 2019, the county's population loss was estimated at, at around 6,646. 
Compare that to Franklin County in central Ohio, which continues to gain population. What is being done to entice families to continue to live in Cuyahoga County and to choose our neighborhoods? Well, it's all about jobs. Uh, we are, uh, you know, I talked in my opening remarks about some of the great things we're doing uh, to enhance job creation in Cuyahoga County. Um, you know, the microgrids will do that. The water uh, attraction project will do that. I believe the lakefront project will do that. Um, so, you know, we're, we're actively, uh, you know, doing everything we can to enhance the community. You know, we, during the pandemic, we stepped out. We were, I think, the first in the country to support uh, the arts and culture community, uh, in, including private uh, organizations, uh, public organizations, and, and individual artists. Um, that's critical to uh, bringing people and keeping people in Cuyahoga County. You know, you've got to have a great lifestyle. Uh, it's the lake, it's our arts and culture, it's our sports teams, it's the whole package together. And, you know, I think we're doing pretty good here and, and we're going to do better. Mr. County Executive, there are a number of other questions. If we, if we get them to you, can you and your team put, provide written responses to some of these? Sure. Okay, that's great. Well, Mr. County Executive Armin Butish, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for, for joining the City Club for the State of the County. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that. We appreciate it. That brings us to the end of our 2021 State of the County Address featuring Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Butish. Thanks to all our members, sponsors, and donors, and others who support our mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. We've got one more such conversation this week. You're welcome to join us tomorrow at our City Club Friday Forum featuring Republican Congressman Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio's 16th Congressional District. You can find out more and see what else is coming up at cityclub.org, and you can also check out what you missed there or on PBS Passport, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Vimeo, and of course our YouTube channel. Special thanks to our presenting sponsor, KeyBank, whose generous support made this year's State of the County possible. We are grateful for their longstanding partnership. And I'm excited to share that it's now easier than ever to support the City Club. If you text the word DONATE to 216-616-CLUB, that's 616-2582, and follow a few easy steps, you can make a contribution to support conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay strong, stay healthy, my friends. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.